Masechet Ketubot Dafnon Vav. We're uh, discussing the Mishnah that said after Kiddushin, before Nisuin, if a man dies or he gets divorced, so everyone agrees that he will still have to pay the base amount of the Ketubah, 100 or 200 zoos. Uh, the question is, does he have to pay the added amount that he wrote in the Ketubah? Tanakama says, yes, he has to pay it, uh, no matter what, the full amount. Whereas Rabbi Al-Azab and Nazariah ruled that a man has in mind to add, to add that extra you know, $10,000, whatever he's going to add, that's, he wants to pay it if they're fully married with Nisuin, but if it's only Kiddushin, then he would not want to pay that. That was uh, his opinion. All right, what does the halacha lemaaseh? was a student sitting before Rabbi Yanai, and he said, he thought that, yes, the halacha should follow it, and it's more lenient on the man. But Rabbi Anai said, go and read your verses outside. Uh, this is a bit of an insult because Rabbi Hanina was known to be a teacher of Mikra, which was considered a lower level. He only studied Mikra, whereas a higher level would be, of course, they knew Mikra by heart, and he went on to study to teach Mishnah. So he's telling him, go take your Pesukim and read it outside, meaning I don't agree with your Halakha, and, uh, you know, stop delving in these matters of halakha. And halakha, Kiribi Al-Azab and Azariyad B'anai thinks that we do not follow that. And in fact, a man, a man or his estate would have to pay the full amount even before Nisuin. Amar Yisrak bar Avdimi Mishum Rabbeinu. Halakha, Kiribi Al-Azab and Azariyad Yisrak bar Avdimi said in the name of Rabbi Yudha Nasi that we do follow the halakha like that. Rabbi Al-Azab and Azariyad. Amar Avdachman Mar Shemuel Halakha, Kiribi Al-Azab and Azariyad. And Shemuel also said that we follow halakha that way. Rav Nachman quoted that in the name of his teacher Shemuel. But, Rav Nachman amad, en even though Rav Nachman quoted his teacher as saying, we do follow that as halakha, he himself thought that we do not follow him for halakha. Although, the, the sages from Nehardea, in the name of Rav Nachman, said that the halakha is like Rabbi Elazar ben Nazira, even though we have another tradition that he said it's not. So it's quite confusing about uh, what he said. In fact, we have a tradition that Rav Nachman cursed and uh, any judge who would rule in with, like Rabbi Azman Azariah and say that the man does not have to pay the added amount because there's no Nisuin yet, he would curse him and say such and such a thing to happen to such a man, uh, such a judge, meaning don't follow it. Nevertheless, we ignore that curse and we do not follow uh, what he said. And uh, in fact, the halacha is like Rabbi Elazar ben Nazariah. And that is the final opinion of the Talmud, that we do follow him, even though he is a minority opinion. Uh, against the majority, but there was a heated debate about this, but in the end, that is what uh, I guess these judges preferred, that's what they saw to be the more fair, what people have in mind, what their uh, assumption is, um, and in a way, it could, uh, in a roundabout way, actually help the woman, because if a man says, if a man knows, wait, even if we break up before the marriage, then I'm still going to have to pay, maybe I don't want to give so much. But if he knows that he's only going to have to pay this added amount after the marriage is consummated, then he'd be more willing to give a, a larger amount. So um, uh, all these could be 
considerations that that is the halacha. All right, a related question. I know that the Bil Azaben Azariah said that you have to wait until the Nisuin in order for the obligation to pay the full added amount of the Kitubah kicks in. But at what point of Nisuin? Nisuin has a number of stages. We're going to talk about at least two, uh, which is the Chupa the actual wedding ceremony that's done in the chuppah. Nowadays, it's just a little canopy. In those days, it would be a, uh, a hut or a house built for the chatan kala where they would stay for at least those seven days. Is it the wedding ceremony and the sheva berachot or... Uh, is it the bi'ah itself when they finally consummate the marriage? So what if, according to Beelzebub and Azariah, they did the chupah ceremony, but they did not do bi'ah yet? Does he have to pay? Chibat, chupah, kona, or chibat. And then, in other words, they did the, they did the chupah, and then he died, or they got divorced. I don't know. They shortened within a short time. They changed their mind. Would he have to pay the added amount? So it depends. If you say chibat kona, it's the love and affection that is manifest in the wedding ceremony. That's what gives him the obligation that he decides. Yes, I love her so much. Look, we just had a chupah. I want to give it. Or is it the affection that is expressed through the physical act of bi'ah? That's what um, that's what makes the the, the uh, interchange fully accepted upon him, and he has the fully full responsibility since bi'ah didn't happen yet, so he wouldn't have to pay. All right, that's the question. And it's all psychological questions. That really depends on what most people would think. So we'll try to find an answer from the following brayta. But he knew and taught the following Braita. Uh, says that when a man gives the additional sum in the marriage contract, he has in mind the affection of the first night. Now, we're going to go back and forth a few times to figure out what does that mean, the first night? Does first night mean bi'ah? That usually happens on the first night, or does it mean chupa? That's the night. So let's see. If it's talking about the chupa ceremony, it makes sense that would that would be the first night because that's the night of the wedding, the wedding night. But if you say thing is talking about the actual consummating of physically of the uh, with bi'ah, so is there always bi'ah on the first night, and after that there is not? In other words, not every couple consummates on the first night necessarily. Uh, they may not feel well, they may be shy, and they may push it off to another time. So therefore, uh, the straightforward reading of this Baraita, Laila Rishon, is referring to what we know happens on that night, which is the wedding ceremony. So it must be, it must be that Azariah would require him uh, to pay after the wedding ceremony, even before Bi'ah. Hold on. Wait, it's the same logic. It doesn't really work with chupa. Is chupa always at night? Sometimes you have make a chupa during the day. I wonder if even back then, nowadays most weddings are at night. Even now, a lot of them are before sunset. And that, those times, I imagine most weddings uh, would probably be while there's still natural light out. So uh, why, why, why are you assuming it's nighttime? Okay. Alright, fine. So what do you want to say? It's talking about bi'ah, and is bi'ah only at night and not during the day? Although there is a general law that one should 
um, uh, should uh, relegate bi'ah to when it's nighttime. But Ramah said that it doesn't mean actual nighttime. It means that it should be dark. And so if it's daytime, but the, you put the shades down and it's dark in the room, that's also permitted in the sense of modesty. And um, uh, uh, people feel self-conscious about about themselves when it's too light out. So uh, therefore, Ravah says that's uh, uh, fine as long as the room is dark. Uh, one can have bi'ah during the day as well. And so really. Uh, this is as 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 we have a problem both ways. So ha kakashya orach ada kamash malan to be a laila. So va la kashya says okay. This is not a question about bia. We could read this beraita talking about bia, and it's just talking about the way of the world. The normal way of the world is that usually people be have bia in the nighttime. Uh, uh, so that's why it's saying the usual. That's why I say la rishon. Okay, elachupa kashya. But weddings, uh, they take place uh, anytime, day and night. So it's not they're not more 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 usual during the night. So right now it seems that this baraita is saying a person, a man, only wants to pay the full amount after bi'ah. But we give a final answer. No chupa, chupa nami la kashya. Kevanti stam chupa lebi'ah kaima orach ada kamash malan de balayla. No, since usually a chupa is going to be followed by bi'ah, they're all one long. Uh, part of the ceremony. And so that's why it talks about, uh, even though Soma Chupa talks about Laila, because even if a Chupa happens during the day, the celebration is going to go on uh, during the day, the afternoon, into the night, and end with Bi'ah. So it really could be talking about Chupa and uh, still say Laila, because that is the normal way uh, that uh, the the whole full ceremony will be consummated at night. And therefore, it's very ni- good, easy to read this Baraita um, that's talking about chupa, although it's really um, equally uh, fine that it should be talking about uh, bi'ah. Um, it seems that by ending on the on the chupa, we seem, seem to be preferring that baraita seems to be, read more smoothly as talking about chupa. Okay, so um, if, if so, uh, then um, it seems that Rabbi Elizabeth Naziah would agree that after chupa, he would have to pay. With that assumption in mind, we have a follow-up question. If you assume that a regular chupa, this kind of chupa, where they are expecting that they'll consummate uh, that night with bi'ah, uh, so the man already uh, has wants to give the extra amount at that point of chupa because in anticipation of bi'ah, but he's already uh, looking forward to it and feels uh, close to her. Well, that's fine in a regular case, but what if they have a chupat nida? If a woman is nida during the wedding ceremony, becomes a nida or was a nida, and they do the wedding ceremony, and now there's no possibility of consummating, there's no possibility of bi'ah. So is it the chupa itself or only a chupa that will lead to bi'ah that will make him feel that affection that he would want to uh, uh, decide to give the money? So if we assume, yes, that it's the chupa itself, still, is it only a chupa that will lead to bi'ah afterwards? That's when he says, oh, I'm so excited that we had a marriage ceremony. Soon it's going to be bi'ah. And at that point, he tr- transfers 
the, uh, he puts places upon himself the responsibility to pay. But if she's nida, and it's just going to be a ceremony, but they're going to have to then go home to each to their separate houses, so then he's not going to feel that affection. Or maybe just the wedding ceremony itself. It's a beautiful thing, and he feels very close to her, even though it's not go, even though she's nida. Uh, and uh, he still will be equal, feel that affection uh, just as much, and uh, want to accept upon himself the responsibility to pay the full amount of the te- of the of the ketubah. Take all this last question. We leave standing. All right. Now we continue in the Mishnah that says, uh, "If a man wants to uh, not pay the full two hundred uh, at the beginning, at the outset, right? He asks, you know, would you agree to a hundred? So this is a problem because you know, this is a basic, either we're going to see if it's a Doraita or the Rabbanan law, but this is a basic requirement that he has to pay a bitula 200. So what if they both agree that it won't be so? Rabbi Uda says there is a possible way to do that. You can't just write in the Ketubah, I'm only giving you 100 to a bitula, because that goes against the basic stipulation of a Ketubah. But Rabbi Uda has a loophole. He says I, the man can write, I'm going to give you 200, but she can write a receipt that says I received the 100. That way, the language of the Ketubah is proper language, and she, even though she didn't actually actually receive a dollar, she can still write, I received 100. I mean, it's a, technically a lie, but it's okay, because it's just a way of saying, I forgive 100 of what you would owe me, and then he would only have to pay the other 100. Okay, so that's Rabbi Yudah. Now, question. All this is assuming that she writes a receipt. Now, this is a question in general. Should we write a receipt for a partial payment? This is the subject of a machloket in the Mishnah in Baba Batrava. Hatana Misha Pada Miksat Chobo, Rabbi Yudah Omer Yahalif. Someone who pays a half of the loan, he owed a thousand dollars and he paid five hundred. So now the lender is going to still hold on to the loan document because he wants to use it to collect the other half. So how's how's the borrower going to prove that he already paid half? Oh, so the BOS says he'll write a the lender will write a receipt and the borrower has to hold on to that receipt so that. If the lender comes and says, hey, look, I have a document that says you owe me a thousand, the borrower will come and say, yeah, no, look, you you gave me a receipt that I already paid 500, so I only have to pay another 500. Um, but Abiyose would say he has to hold on to that receipt. If he loses it, borrower loses it, then he's in trouble. That's Abiyose's opinion. But Abiyuda there says, no, don't write a receipt, but rather, ya khalif, you should exchange the original promissory note, rip it up, and write a new one just for 500. Because Abiyose doesn't like the idea of relying on a receipt. People lose receipts. I know some people that lose receipts. Um, I'm married to one of them. Um, but the people, since people lose receipts, it's not, nice, it's not fair to the borrower that just because he lost the receipt, now he's going to have to pay again. So Rabbi Oda says we don't write receipts. So here's a contradiction. In the Mishnah, uh, he says we do write receipts. Write, she writes a receipt um, and gives it to him. And, but in the Mishnah Babatra, he says we don't write receipts. Um, what's the, how do we conclude? How do we resolve this? In the case of a ketubah, we're talking about where the receipt is written in the ketubah document itself. It's not a separate place. It's not, an, it's not a separate thing that you can lose. Um, in other words, either somewhere on the margin, you'll write, um, uh, the, the, she will sign and say, oh, he, he gave me a 
hundred. Or, you know, since this whole thing is happening actually at the time of the writing of the Ketubah, this is not subsequent. With a loan, at the time of the loan, uh, you know, says you owe a thousand. And then sometime later, six months, a year later, he comes and pays 500. In this case, we're talking about where at the time of the Ketubah, they negotiate and she says, okay, you know what? I, you only have to pay me a hundred. I'll agree to say that you paid me a hundred. In that case, while you're writing the Ketubah, you could write it all within the language of the Ketubah itself to say, he, the man says he will give, she's a bitula, he will pay her two hundred, and he already paid her a hundred. Uh, and so therefore it can't get lost. So in the case of a Ketubah, Rabbi Yehuda would not worry about it getting lost. In the case of a loan, he would worry about it getting lost. So that would um, solve the problem. That's Rabbi Yirmiya's solution. We have a different solution by Abaye. Even if it's not written in it, right? The, this Amrishnah didn't say anything about writing it inside the language of the Ketubah. Uh, so I can explain it in a simpler way. In the case of a loan, where he actually the borrower actually did pay five hundred of it. And now he may lose the receipt, and now the the lender will take out the start the loan document again and make him pay again. So that's in that case, the Biuda says it's unfair burden on the borrower to have to keep the receipt because he shouldn't have to pay twice. He paid the five hundred already. Shouldn't have to pay that half again. Haha, but regarding the Kitubah, Vadaya Havla, did the wife really give the 100, half the amount for a bitula, to him? She actually never gave it. She's just saying she gave it as a way of saying he only has to pay another 100. But she, he, he never paid her that amount. Uh, the man never paid her that amount. She's just saying that to get him off the hook of paying her. So, in that case, she is like the lender um, and he is like the borrower. If the husband holds on to that receipt, Good. So then he he can he won't only have to pay uh, the, another hundred. Ilana today, if the borrow if the husband does not hold on to the receipt, so he's losing out himself. Uh, in other words, since the husband never actually paid the hundred in the first place, so she's doing him a nice favor by giving him a receipt for a hundred that he never paid. So she's doing a nice thing. If and then he loses it and has to pay it, well, that actually was his basic responsibility as a husband to pay 200. So it's really no big loss on his part. We, you know, we would really prefer that he paid the 200 like all husbands should. And so there, in that case, Rabbi Uda doesn't mind giving that burden on the husband to have to hold on to that receipt. All right, how we understand Abaye's answer and why he would not agree with Rabbi Yirmiya's answer, because Amishnah does not say that Rabbi Yudha only agrees if you write the receipt within the loan document. It doesn't say anything about that. You're adding a stipulation that it doesn't say. So that's why he prefers his own answer. How come Yirmiya doesn't like Abaye's answer? This was a very good point. He never actually paid it, so let him have the responsibility of holding on to the receipt. And the answer is, 
We're worried that, yeah, even though you're right in this case, it would be okay to make him write a receipt. If you permit it in this case, then people will come to say, oh, you can write receipts. It's fine to put that burden on the, on the borrower. And then they'll do it in other cases as well. And so that's why uh, we, we, we want to say, you know what, we don't like this whole deal of writing receipts. Um, so we're going to make a blanket thing across the board that you have to write a new loan document. Unless it's, if it's in the shtad itself, in the kitubah itself, well, that's okay. But otherwise, um, no receipts. All right. Ta'ama de le aval alpe la further questioning into the Biudah's opinion. It says that she has to write the receipt for him. Um, uh, uh, that uh, that says that she uh, collected the 100. But if she said it verbally, verbally she uh, she says, oh yeah, I agreed that it's okay. Uh, I, I paid him 100. That would not be sufficient and we would require the husband to pay the 200 uh, because that's his fundamental obligation and uh, we would not rely on an oral statement uh to to have uh, to allow him not to pay so question this is a monetary matter and we have another statement of the biuda where he says if it's a monetary matter in the very very similar situation also regarding ketubah as long if you, even if you just say it verbally that that stipulation is valid where do we see that? The Tanya, this is a Baraita, happens to be a Tosefta also. It says, Until now, we've been talking about the basic Kitubah payment of 100 or 200. Um, in this case, he says, um, You're going to be my wife on condition that I am not paying for your food, for your clothing, and I'm not providing conjugal rights. This Harezo Mikudeshit, it's a valid Kiddushin, Utano Batel, Dibredi Meir. But according to Dibredi Meir, we ignore the condition. They are married and he will have to pay for her food and clothing and, ma- and give her conjugal rights anyway. Because a person, En Adam Matne, one is not allowed to make a condition against something in the Torah itself. Right? It's just null and void. Since everyone, we all promised on Har Sinai, we're going to follow the Torah. So that's the original condition. Therefore, you cannot follow it up even uh, even uh, 2,000 years later with another condition that says, no, I'm not going to do that. So therefore, that condition is null and void. It is a marriage. You have to pay everything. That's that's the uh, opinion of Rabbi Yudah. However, Rabbi Yudah Omer, of Rabbi Meir, however, Rabbi Yudah Omer, when it comes to monetary things, then his, his, his condition is fine, right? Maybe not for... Uh, ona, which is not a monetary thing, but for monetary things, uh, anyone can make any condition. And she says, oh, I, I, I forgave that. So that is valid. So here we see that Abiyudah thinks that making a verbal, a verbal condition on something that has to do with monetary is, is valid. Whereas up here, um, our Mishnah says she, that she has to write it down, 
which from which we infer that if she just verbally um, uh, for, forgave or said that she was paid 100 out of the 200, then it's, the condition does not stand. How do we resolve this contradiction? The answer is, The payment of a kitubah, 100 or 200, for almana or for betula, that is a requirement that's only midrabanan. Now you might think if it's only midrabanan, it's weaker. But the rabbis knew human psychology, and they knew that people will tend to make light of something that's the Rabbanan, and uh, uh, therefore they had to strengthen their words, and they often treated a Rabbanan with more stringency than they did a Deoraita law. Therefore, uh, food, clothing, conjugal rights, since they are Torah requirements, they already have their own level of seriousness. Everybody will take them seriously. So in that case, the Buddha says, if a person even verbally says, it's okay, you don't have to give me clothing or food, then that's okay. That condition works because it's a monetary thing and the person can forego a monetary thing, uh, a monetary matter. But the hundred and two hundred, which is only midrabanan, and people will say, ah, see, tras drabanan, I'm not paying you that, you're okay with it, right? In that case, the rabbis didn't want people to make light of the payment, and they said, if she is going to forego that, the, the right to collect the full hundred and two hundred, she has to write it down. Otherwise, people will take it too lightly. And so, in this case, that that's, uh, explains the, uh, the contradiction. So, the Biuda says, in the Drabanan, payment of a hundred or two hundred, she would have to write a written uh, receipt and would not be sufficient to do it orally. Hold on. We have yet a third case where the Buddha talks about a monetary obligation. If she brings land into the, into the marriage, then the husband has a right for the, to use to take the produce and use the produce. That is a Drabanan right that the rabbis gave her, gave him. And yet the rabbis here did not make uh, say that it has to be written, they said an oral, for, uh, for giving this orally is sufficient. Where do we see that? Ditanan, a Mishnah that we're going to see later on in Ketuvot, says, the man has a right to have got not only the produce, but even the fruits of the produce, meaning if she, has, she, has, she brings in land, that land makes produce and he sells the produce and uses the proceeds to buy other land. And that land also itself, uh, makes uh, makes uh, has fruit and uses the uh, the produce from that the sale that the sale of that produce to buy other land and so he's he's reinvesting the 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 the, the proceeds to buy more and more. Um, he, he, if he um, he gets the right for all of that and if he's going to forego it if he wants to forego it he has to write it down. Uh, here it says write it down. Now, even though it says write it down, when we discussed that Mishnah, we decided that the writing down is not literally writing down. The Kaimalan Maikotev Omer. It's just a way of saying that he says. So we see in that Mishnah, according to the way we explained it, 
it's sufficient for a man to verbally say that he relinquishes his claim on his wife's produce and does not have to say it. So here, this is a and it's a drabanan obligation, and yet verbal acceptance is sufficient. How about before, Rabbi Uda said that the rabbis made their takanot even, more, even stronger and said you would have to write it down. Answer, Amar Abaye, Lakol Yesh Ketuba, Velo Lakol Yesh Perot Milta de Shikha Abduba, Rabanan Chizuk Milta de la Shikha, Lo Abdu Rabanan Chizuk. And the answer is that everyone has a basic Ketuba payment, 100, 200, and, but not everybody is uh, so wealthy that they bring land into a, into a marriage. And therefore, something that is common, the basic Ketuba payment, there the rabbis made, uh, uh, strengthened their law. To make, to make sure everyone will take it seriously, and said, you can't just write it down. You can't just say it verbally. You have to write it down if you're going to forego it. Whereas, something that does not happen often, the rabbis don't, don't make a gezera for something that doesn't happen often, and that's why in the case of the fruits, they say, you know, it's sufficient for, uh, for, the, uh, sufficient for the man to say, it's okay, I don't, I don't, I don't want the fruits, even verbally, uh, because they, it doesn't happen often. Okay, uh, now that's so far so good. Yet one more last question on, in the Debiuda. We have a case, we've seen this case before, we're going to see it again now, it's a Mishnah in Masechet Demai, regarding donkey drivers, and that is something that is common, and it's a Dirabanan, and yet uh, we the, the rabbis did not make, reinforce their law. They were lenient about it. According to the Buda, they were lenient about it. And which goes against the principle we just said, that they are stringent about a Rabbanan law that happens often. So what's the case there? Two donkey drivers come into a city and they want to sell their, their uh, produce. One of the donkey drivers is promoting the produce of the other guy. And he says, listen, my produce is chadash, meaning it was, uh, it was harvested recently after Pesach. And therefore, you can't use it. But my friend, his is Yashan, right? Has the Yashan sticker on it. Um, Yashan. And so therefore, go buy from him. His is better. Or if he says, listen, my produce, I didn't, we didn't, I didn't take Turumama Aser from it. But that guy, my friend down the block, he took Turumama Aser. Go buy from him. Now this is suspicious. Why would one guy want to uh, support um, the, 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 the sales from his comp- competitor who's uh, down the street? So therefore we say, Tanakama says, We do not believe him. We think they're in collusion. What they do is they switch off. In every city they go to, right? If, if this guy says, go buy from him, go from him, they split the profits. They go to the next city and he'll say, the other guy, go buy from him, and they'll split the profits. So they're just using each other as like, you know, good cop, bad cop. So therefore, we do not believe him, and we do not assume, since they're ma'aretz, so we can't trust them that their produce, actually, they took to the mama said, I mean, you can buy from them, but you'll still have to take to the mama said, you'll have to assume that it's chadash, and wait till after the Omer to eat it. Okay, the Biudah Omer, Ne'emani, but the Biudah disagrees and says, we can believe him, right? If he says so, uh, even though there is some reason to be suspicious, 
we're lenient. It's only the Rabbanan, right? Because after all, this is all Demai. These are Amea Aretz. Maybe they did take to the Ma'amaset. Maybe they didn't. Most Amea Aretz do take to the but we're just Machmir to make sure that they didn't. So how come over here, where it's a Rabbanan, and it's just words, we are Machmir, whereas in the previous case we said, if it's a Rabbanan, that, um, that happens often, then we are, uh, then, then we are Machmir. In this case, um, he is Mekel. Uh, Abaye explains that if it's something that is something uh, uh, a, a something for sure, there the rabbi said they're going to make a chizuk, and something for sure is the sum in the marriage contract that the man has to pay, and we want to make sure that he really pays it. So if she writes down that she received a hundred, fine. But if she only said it verbally, then this is going to make it too weak, and so uh, not not good. But our case of demai is safek. They're all the rabbis uh, uh, instituted this just because we're not sure if it's to mama said. But it could be very likely that he did. They did take to the mama said, and therefore we, they did not go to that extent to strengthen their their words and say we're not going to believe a person. Uh, who says that the, he took to the Mahama said, especially if he says the other guy took to the Mahama said, which generally is more believable than saying about himself. Um, so, uh, so there's a difference between a drabanan and a safek. A safek is even less, whereas this is, even though the amount of the kitubah, 100 or 200, is drabanan, it's still something that for sure he didn't pay and we want him to pay. Rava says something similar. Regarding Demai, we're lenient because the whole law of Demai itself is a stringency. Most of Ma'adis do separate to the Mama said. So since the whole thing is a rabbinic extra stringency, we can be more lenient than we are in other laws. All right, that's all for Rabbi Yehuda. Now we move to Rabbi Meir. Omer Kol HaPochet, he says that anytime you make you try to make a condition and uh, you say, uh, listen, I'm going to get married, but you only get 50, you only get 100, and he's not going to pay the full amount. In all those cases, their uh, bi'ah, if they do get married and have bi'ah, is bi'ilat, is considered bi'ilat zinut. Um, in other words, uh, he is not allowed to make such a condition. Okay, it seems, since it is arguing on a biuda, it seems that he would say, even if you use this receipt uh, system, it still wouldn't be allowed. Although it's not, it doesn't say that explicitly. Okay, kol apachot afilu bitnaaha. Kol apachet afilu bitnaaha. So the, uh, uh, the the language that he uses, anyone who reduces the, the amount, and so that means even if he makes it a stipulation and she agrees to the st- to the stipulation, nevertheless we consider it a um, a bilat zinut. So let's analyze. So we can understand, according to the Bimeir, when he says, I'm only going to give you 100 to a betula, the condition is null and void, and he does have to pay. In other words, the, the marriage is, in fact, a good marriage. Um, you can't say that it's no marriage at all. They are, in fact, married, and he will have to pay the full amount. We ignore the condition. So why do we call it Be'ilad 
Ratzenut, if they're married, since he, he told her, I'm only giving you uh, 100, she, in her mind, isn't quite sure, am I going to get the 200, am I going to get the 100, and because she has reservations about her getting the amount, and so she is uneasy, in her mind, she considers it like a Be'ilat In fact, they will be married, um, uh, but it's causing her to make it uh, like a Be'ilat Zinut. Okay, so that's how we're explaining it to be Me'ir, not that it is actually Be'ilat Zinut to the extent that we, it would not be a marriage at all. Now we ask about an apparent contradiction between this statement of Rabbi Meir and something else he said. Rabbi Meir himself says anyone who makes a condition on something in the Torah itself and says he's not going to do it, so that condition is null and void. But he only said that about something that's written in the Torah. But if it's only a Dirabanan obligation, and he makes a condition and says, I'm going to do this marriage and not fulfill the Dirabanan condition, then that condition should be valid. Whereas up here he said that if he says, I'm going to make, I'm going to marry you on condition and only pay you a hundred, then the condition is not valid. We ignore it. Why should we ignore it? It's only Dirabanan. Uh, and the condition should be valid. And the answer is, He thinks that Ketubah obligation is the Oraita. And that's why one cannot make a stipulation against the Torah. And that includes the basic 100 and 200 uh, uh, payment. And so that's why the condition is invalid. All right, that's all for the Bimeir. And now we're going to introduce a Braita that brings a third opinion. Uh, let's see what it is. Tanya, we already saw it in Bimeir's opinion. If a man tries to give less than 200 or to an Amana less than 100, so that is called Be'ilat Zinut in the sense that uh, she uh, does would not agree to such a stipulation and therefore uh, she considers that Be'ilat Zinut. Uh, in fact, they are married and he will have to pay the full amount. Rashai, here's the new opinion. Biyose says it's permitted. A man can do that and says, "Listen, I'm only going to pay you a hundred. She's okay with it. He's okay with it. So the condition sticks." We already know Biyose's opinion from the Mishnah. If he wants, he can write two hundred, and as long as he writes two hundred in the ketubah, she can write a uh, receipt that says I received 100 or Amunah he writes 100 and she writes I received 50 and you can you can only do it with that uh, loophole but you can't act you can't explicitly write that I'm only going to give you 100 but according to the Biyose he can say I'm only going to give you 100 and it's totally fine now the Sabah Biyose Rashai is really true the Biyose says that now we're going to have a long proof that the Biyose would not agree to such a thing that a person could give less than the um, than the 200. Or mean he, here's the problem, Tanakama says that you cannot say to a woman that your collection of your, your ketubah will be from the following movable objects and not from land. Right? The law is that she gets a lien on the lands, on the land, even if he sells it. If he says, no, no, you're gonna, I'm going to pay you from these, uh, these vases over here. Um, that's not good because uh, betterment of the world. 
We'll see what's better about that. Amarav Yosef, Achimatikun Aolam Yesh Bezor, Valo En Kesubin Ufochatin. Yosef says, What's so bad? What's What's better about this? Uh, movable objects do not have a fixed price, and they become devalued. And if he says, if the husband says, I'm going to pay you from these vases here, and the vases end up being worth less than they were, so she's only going to be able to collect from something that's worth less than they were before and won't collect her full amount. So you see, the Biosed does not like the idea of, of uh, setting aside valuables. The Gemara is going to ask this, but I thought it doesn't make sense, because the Biosed looks like he's agreeing. Tanakama says, don't use don't use uh, movable objects because tikkun haolam. It's not it's not going to lead to a bad result. It's going to lead to fighting. Uh, she's going to want to claim a full amount, but only can can claim these uh, vases that now are worth less, and it won't be fair to her. So it looks like they're agreeing. So we asked tanakamad name and osin kamad. He also said don't do it. Rabbi Yosef said what? It's no good. They lose their value. So aren't they agreeing? We have to understand Tanakama differently. See, really, this, if you didn't have the word N here, the whole thing would read smoothly. If Tanakama says, you can use movable objects, um, and then the Biosess says, no, and then the Biosess said, that doesn't help anyone using movable objects because they would lose, lose uh, amount. That would make sense if they're disagreeing. So what we have to do is we have to somehow modify Tanakama's opinion. And here's what we do. Tanakama says, when do we say that you can't move, move, use movable objects? When the husband does not, agree, uh, does not accept upon himself a guarantee for them. A guarantee that if they get lost or stolen, then he will uh, pay her from something else. But if he says a guarantee that if these vases are lost or stolen, then I will pay you from, uh, uh, I'll guarantee that I'll pay you from uh, something else, then you can use movable objects. So we're using Spirimadim we actually change around effectively the end to saying uh, otherwise. As long as he guarantees them, uh, it's totally fine to use movable objects. And they say, but then, says, even if he accepts a, a responsibility, if they get lost or stolen, still that doesn't help anyone. There's no tikkun olam there. It's not helping her. They do not have fixed value and they become may become devaluated. And he didn't guarantee that he's going to make up the difference between the lost uh, the, the the loss of their value only if they're lost or stolen completely. And so now that now we understand this baraita. Now that we've clarified this baraita, we can explain the question. Hashta. In that case, in that Braita, where maybe these vases will depreciate, maybe they won't, but even the possibility that they'll depreciate, the Biosay worries about it and says, you're not allowed to uh, make the woman, you're not allowed to use them to, for the Ketubah. She has a right to demand something that will be stable in value, like land. In our case, where he is explicitly for sure saying, I'm only paying you a hundred. All the more so, this is null and void. If you can't use valuables, uh, movables that only may or may not lose value, for sure, he, we cannot accept his condition that he's not going to pay uh, the full amount. So that's the, it's a good question. We answer. Wait, these are two totally different things. In the case of Vaza, she doesn't know that they're going to be 
she doesn't know that they that they might uh, she doesn't have in mind that they might lose value and so she is not doesn't know that she's waiving an obligation that she deserves she thinks okay you'll fine you'll pay me from vases she thinks it's fine she doesn't know that she has a right to land that's more stable and she may lose out so she's never really agreeing to waive any of her rights that's why we step in and say this is not fair to her Whereas if the guy comes and says, listen, I'm only paying you 200. She knows she deserves 100, 200. And he says, I'm only paying you 100. She thinks about it. She agrees to it. At least she knows that she's agreeing to forego something that she deserves. As long as she knows about it and waives her right, that is fine. The problem is when it's a hidden clause, that's when we do not allow it. Okay, so that makes sense. We end with a story. The story is about a lost ketubah, and it's going to involve a discussion of Rabbi Meir's opinion versus his colleagues. So, uh, the sister of Rabbi Chama was married to Rav Avya. She had a marriage contract, a ketubah, but she lost it. They're still married, and um, but now they don't have a ketubah. So, they came to Rav Yosef and said, what should we do? Can we continue to live together? Can we t- continue to have bi'ah without a ketubah? Or do we have to write one right away? He's going to tell them that it's okay. They can continue living together without a ketubah. And his reason is because of something Shemuel said. Who said, The problem of someone who tries to reduce his wife's ketubah and uh, makes a condition on it, and we say it's invalid, but because she thinks that maybe it's valid, so she will consider that because she's not fully invested. She's wavering. I don't know if he's going to pay me. Is he not going to pay me? So if we apply to Bimi as logic, it would apply equally to a woman who lost her ketubah. She also isn't sure. Now, the truth is that even if you don't have a ketubah, even if you never wrote, a man never wrote a ketubah or she lost her ketubah, he's still going to have to pay the amounts because we saw this is a condition of the betin. They said anyone who gets married has to pay these things no matter what. So he will have to pay. But because she lost it, she is not sure. Is he going to pay me with it or without it? And because she's not sure about it, even though they're married, they didn't get divorced yet, but she's still just thinking about it, so she's not fully invested, and she doesn't consider the biot be- uh, be- that they will have to be within marriage, because she says maybe this marriage is shaky, and she will consider it like be'ilat Therefore, according to the be'ilat one is not, just like one is not allowed to have a condition that he's going to pay less, one cannot remain married if she doesn't have a ketubah, because she will consider those biot to be be'ilat be'ilat zinut. So according to the Bimir, we would have to write one right away. According to the sages, however, it's okay. You lost your ketubah. You can go. It's all right. You can remain with your wife and be together for two or three years, even without a ketubah. Um, because if they do, if he does die or they do get divorced, he'll have to pay it anyway. She's not really losing anything out. And, uh, you know, and if he tries to make, just like if he tries to make a condition, doesn't work. So without a ketubah, he has to pay no matter what, and it's okay. So therefore, Rav Yosef quoting Shemuel says, it's all right, you don't have to, it's all right. When you get a chance, write a ketubah, but it's all right if you don't for a while. Amar Labaye, Abayet tells Rav Yosef, Abayah said, Yeah, you're quoting Rav Nachman in the name of Shemuel. 
Um, uh, yeah, sorry, you're quoting, you quoted of Yudan name of Shemuel, but of Nachman say name of Shemuel, so Shemuel also said that halacha is like Rabbi Meir. So although you're right, according to Chamim, they could go on without writing Ketubah, halacha does not follow Chachamim, halacha follows the minority opinion of Rabbi Meir when it comes to his decrees, and that includes this. So we make a decree that this is like Bilat Zenut, and without her, her assurance, her feeling comfortable, that confident that she will be able to collect the ketubah, she is thinking of these biot as bi'ilot zenut, so therefore one cannot remain married without a ketubah. So when Rav Yosef heard that from Abaye, he said, okay, uh, you're right, so go and write a ketubah for her. And this is the halakha l'ma'aseh today, if someone loses their ketubah, they should write, write a new one uh, immediately. Um, and uh, this, this, this happens, there is a, kit, a form of a lost ketubah form uh, that, is, uh, um, that is available, and anyone who has, if you can't find your ketubah, should uh, ask a rabbi and fill out a new ketubah form. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.